Um, I, I want to testify. I just got in uh, Thursday night. I actually spent most of this week in Philadelphia. And uh, I was at the Church Multiplication Network conference. In fact, some of my new friends that were at the conference, I saw them coming in today. They're getting ready to plant a church. And uh, they were at the conference as well. And so, I mean, it, it, was, it was a lot. I mean, from like Tuesday morning till Thursday night, there was a lot happening. We were strategizing and praying and just visioneering the future of the church and, and, uh, and what God has in store. Can I just say to you today, I am more excited now than I've ever been for what God's gonna do in this church. As I, amen, yeah. As I was thinking... Uh, this week, I realized somewhere, uh, I kind of lost track, but somewhere over the last year, we crossed the threshold of 25 years in ministry. And um, if you're doing the math, I was 10, so. <laughs> no, but, uh, but let me just say, these last 10 years have been the most miraculous, the most uh, life-giving, most incredible uh, season of ministry that we've had. And... At the end of that conference uh, on Thursday, several other pastors, they, they gathered around me and, and prayed over me and anointed me. In fact, with this oil right here, much like the oil that we have at the altars for our prayer team, they, they anointed me and began to pray over my life and prophesy over my life. And I, I sensed the, it was a moment that God just marked me. You ever had a moment like that? I just felt like God was marking the moment. And so I wanted to mark it down. And, and I sat down before we, we left that atmosphere of, of prayer and, and, and word, and, and I literally wrote this down in my journal, October 12th, 2023, 4.19 p.m. Today, I receive a fresh anointing for another 10 years of miracles. I believe God's gonna do that. Amen. So let me, just, let me just tell you, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's doing in this church. I'm excited about where we're headed. And I'm glad you're here this morning. And, and in full disclosure, I gotta be honest. I mean, I knew as much as you knew that something was happening today. It was Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And I really wanted to just come and preach everybody happy. <laughs> but I got home late Thursday night and I got up Friday morning and tried to get back into my routine. And I was at the gym and, and the news is on every screen. And I saw that Hamas had called October 13th, Friday, a day of rage. Saw it on every screen, every channel. Day of rage, day of rage. Did you see it? A day of rage. As I began to look at that, my mind immediately went to a verse of scripture in Psalm chapter 2. Uh, and I want to show you that verse in the translation that I learned it in, the New King James Version. It says, why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. And as I saw that day of rage, day of rage, I just began to meditate on that thought. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? You know, that word rage, is a, in the Hebrew, it's a word picture for, for a, a turbulent sea. For, for an ocean that is just in, in tumult, that has that uh, got a constant stirring and an undertow, and, and, and there's, it's unsettled, it's restless. And, and I just wonder if maybe I'm not the only one, maybe you've been thinking this week about how unsettled everything is, about how restless our world is. Maybe you haven't used these words, but in your own, you've been saying, why? Why do the nations rage? As we saw the atrocities of innocent Israeli children being snatched out of their daycare and beheaded by extremists. God's chosen people, Israel, under attack once again. 
And, and you can't help but wonder, is this it? I mean, is this the catalyst for, for a global uh, War is, is this going to be World War III? Is, is this to be maybe Armageddon? Is this the, the days of destruction that we see prophesied in the Bible? Or maybe, maybe you haven't been watching the news, but maybe you're here today and you would say, in my own personal life, I've, it, it, feels, it feels like things are raging. But why is there so much disease? Why is there so much death? Why is there so much anxiety and pain? I mean, with all of our wealth and all of our resources, why are people still starving in our world? Why are people still dying from contaminated water and curable diseases? Why do the nations rage? Why has immorality come out of the closet of shame to stand on a platform of celebration? Why has it moved into an academic classroom of indoctrination? Why do the nations rage? Have you ever wondered what in the world is, is happening? And so as I just was gripped with that thought, I, I opened my Bible to Psalm chapter 2. And I want to invite you to do that with me. To Psalm chapter 2. And, and as you're turning there, let me say to you, church, I wanted to preach on such a happier topic today. I wanted to launch a different kind of series. But the Holy Spirit led me into his word. And I want you to know that in his word you will find what you need. So Psalm chapter 2 begins with this question, and, and it's really an easy psalm to follow. It's only 12 verses long, and it's a poem that is written in four stanzas. So every three verses, you have a new stanza. If you're a note taker, let me tell you what the four stanzas represent in, in my words. Number one, God, or number one, people rage. That's what we see. People rage. And then in the second stanza, we see God rebukes. But in the third stanza, we will see that Jesus reigns. And then the final stanza, the last three verses, shows us how we respond. Now, I showed you that first verse, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? I want to preach this out of the NIV translation, and there's a different nuance to that first verse, but I think there's another layer of truth in it. So look at it with me, verse one through three. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Why do the nations conspire? And rest assured, friends, that's what's happening. There's a conspiring that is going on in our world. I mean, we're not just witnessing a collective shift of morality in our nation. There's a conspiring that's taking place. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and they'll follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's what's happening in our world. It's not just that the nation is changing or the world is, is changing. It's that there are, there are deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons that are being taught in our world. You know, a few weeks ago, one of my daughters was taking an online test for one of her classes. She goes to public school. And it was, to, it was to evaluate where you stand politically. It was six pages, but she was really uh, intrigued by the results. And so she told me, I want you to take it. I want to see where you line up. So, so I, I, I took her, her Chromebook that the school issues, and, and I began to, 
to take the test, but before I could get to the first question of this political assessment, I couldn't help but notice the ad, the Google ad that was across the top of the screen. It was a, an animation of two young boys leaning in to kiss one another with a statement that says, are you gay? Click to find out. I was like, this is a homework assignment. And so I finished page one and I go to page two and there it is again. Go to page three, there it is again. On five of the six pages, I mean, those ads aren't free. That's paid. That's, that's money that is pushing an agenda to invite my daughter, who's trying to do a homework assignment, to question her God-given sexual identity on every page. It's troubling to see the conspiring. If you don't know there's conspiring happening in our world, friend, you are blind to what is happening. But here's what I want you to notice. Go back to verse one. I want you to notice the question in Psalm chapter two and verse one is why do they conspire? It's not what. There's a lot of people that get hung up on what the conspiracy is. And can I just caution you, if you go down that road, what's the conspiracy? That is, that's a road that never ends. You are gonna get lost chasing rabbits down trails, trying to find out what the conspiracy is. Listen, we don't need to know what the conspiracy is. We have the greater question answered in God's word. Why? Why is there a conspiring that's happening? Look at it again. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Verse 2, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together, here's the answer, against the Lord. That's what it's all about. That's why they're conspiring. It's against the Lord. The world systems and even the, the sinful heart of humanity bucks against the control of God's law. There's a resistance to his rule. And so we look around our world and we can start pointing fingers. Who's the threat? I mean, is it, is it the terrorist? Certainly. I mean, is it big government? Yeah. Is it big tech? Is it the LGBTQ movement? Is it BLM, Antifa? What is it? It's every one of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that rebellion goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And did you know that the law was there in the garden? There was only one rule on the page, but God had a law. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that stands in the middle of the garden. And it was good. Everything God made, including that law, was good. The psalmist in Psalm 19 goes beyond that. He says, not only is the law of the Lord good, he says the law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. But what happened in the garden was Satan came in with a deceiving spirit and he convinced Adam and Eve that, that God's Law was not perfect, not trustworthy or right or radiant. It wasn't guardrails and guides to lead us to a life of blessing in Christ, but it's actually chains and shackles that you need to break free from so that you can find your full purpose. And, and Satan deposited his heart, his deceiving spirit, his corruption into the heart of humanity. 
The Bible says in Romans 8, 7, the mind that's governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So what happens to the mind that is hostile to God? That mind becomes prideful. Look, look at verse 3 in Proverbs 2. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. That, that prideful arrogance. Let us. We see that all through the word of God. We see it in Genesis. You know, God delivered Noah and his family through the ark. And he said, now be fruitful and multiply. Scatter over the whole earth. And then you get just two chapters later. And it says all the multitude of people, they gathered in one place. And they said, let us build a tower up to heaven. Let us make a great city and a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered. They operated in, in rebellion to what God had said to do. Let us. We see it in Exodus. When God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he's literally giving him the laws. He's saying, this is the instruction to govern and rule your life as my chosen people. But down in the valley, the people said, we don't know what happened to this Moses guy, but let us make gods that we can worship. The Bible says, Proverbs 16, 8, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the mind that is ruled by pride, it wants to break loose from the guidance of God's law. It begins to, to, to cause anarchy. It begins to raise Cain in society. And it is easy for us as Christians to, to sit here in a church on Sunday morning and point fingers. We can point at Hamas, say, look, look at these terrorists. They're, they're raising Cain in the Middle East. We can look at, at all the, the ideologues in, in America and say, look, look at how they're militantly attacking the next generation. Look at how they're raising Cain. But can I remind you where that phrase came from? The first one to raise Cain was a man named Cain. He was the son of Adam and Eve. And here's the thing about him. He actually wanted to worship God. He built an altar. He brought a sacrifice. Cain's problem was he wanted to worship God his way. He didn't want to do it the way that God had prescribed. He didn't want to submit himself to the law of God that was communicated to him. He wanted to worship God his own way. And when God called him out, called him to repent, instead of repenting, he retaliated. He took it out by murdering his brother who had honored the Lord. So look at the text closely. It's not just the nations. It's not just the kings. It's not just the rulers. It says it's the people who plot in vain. It's people who rage. And it's not just those people. It's God's people who say, oh no, I love Jesus. I love the church. I love the Bible. I want to bring an offering. I just want to do it my way. The people rage. It says they plot in vain. In other words, all the striving to make life better outside of God's plan is futile. That's what that means. You know, we haven't done good at making the world a better place outside of God's rule and reign. You know, I, I was reminded this weekend of the statement, I think it was H.G. Wells that, that popularized the statement about World War One. In 1914, he called it the war to end all wars. How are we doing with that? 
History tells us that there has been conflict and war in every year of the 20th and 21st century. There's been very few gaps of peace between chaos in our world. In fact, a study I read this weekend showed that an estimated 187 million people died as a result of war from 1900 to 2014. The actual number is probably much higher than that. People rage. We rage against God, against his lordship. Secondly, God rebukes, verse four through six. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying this, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Get this picture in your mind this morning. The Lord laughs. He scoffs. Now, now rest assured, there's nothing funny about the sin and the atrocities that are happening in our world. God doesn't laugh about that. In fact, the Bible says in Luke 19 that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he wept. He wept over the city, and here's why. He said, because they did not recognize the hour of their visitation. Can I tell you, friends, he still weeps today for people that would come into a service like this or log in online, and you would hear the word of God, and you would see the invitation of grace before you, but you would not recognize your hour of visitation. He weeps over that. But this word says God laughs. You want to know what he laughs at? He laughs at the futility of the plans and schemes to undermine his agenda. God has no need for an audible. He has no plan B. Verse five says, he rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath. You know, most Christians, they don't, they don't even like to think of that side of God's personality. Like we, we would just rather skip over verses like that. Like, whoa, he rebukes them in anger? God gets angry? He terrifies them in his wrath? Come on, we, we don't like, we like the chosen Jesus. We don't like, like we like the, the handsome, humorous Jesus. I don't know about that. I mean, we like humble, lowly servant Jesus. We like foot washing Jesus, friend of sinners Jesus, sacrificial lamb Jesus. We like the let the little children come to me Jesus. How about the Jesus walking on the water? He's cool. But can I tell you there's another Jesus? The Bible talks about one who rides in the clouds. The Bible gives us a picture in Revelation 19 that says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called faithful and true and with justice he judged and he wages war his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself he's dressed in a robe that's dipped in blood and his name is the word of god armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen white and clean coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations he will rule with an iron scepter he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written king of kings and lord of lords this Jesus he came the first time as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. He came the first time as a sacrifice. He's coming back as a judge. For those that 
They'd want to free themselves from his rule, break the chains and the shackles of his law. The Lord laughs at the simplistic notion that somehow you are not under the jurisdiction of the lordship of Jesus Christ. You can choose to bow your knee to him today, or you can be broken by the iron scepter tomorrow. But every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of God. There might be Hamas terrorists dancing in the streets, but God is in heaven. He laughs at the futility that they think they might undermine his kingdom agenda. God has a plan for Israel. That's not an excuse to say that the people in leadership today are perfect or that everything that humans do is right. We can read the Bible and know that the Jews got it wrong a whole lot of times. But they are God's people. Take time this week to read again Romans 9, 10, and 11. God has a plan for Israel. Read Ezekiel chapter 37. In fact, I want to show you a verse in, in Ezekiel 38, verse 16 says this. You will advance against my people. This is what God says to his enemies. You will advance against my people, Israel, like a cloud that covers the land. In days to come, Gog, I will bring you against my land. Now, Gog means man. In Hebrew, that's a word that speaks of a president, a czar, a prince. You know, it's amazing. The Gaza Strip is, just, is about as big as Philadelphia, where I was at this week. I mean, it's a small little spot. 40% of the population is 15 years old and under. It's one of the most densely populated areas in the world. And yet the eyes of the world are on it right now. Why is that? Why, why do they keep coming? Why does Israel keep coming up in the news? I mean, it's such a small geographic place. You don't have to wonder. The Bible tells you in this verse. God says, I will bring you against my land so that, like here's the reason, so that the nations may know me when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Those that think they're leveraging their power, they are pawns. They are pawns in the plan of God. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you come against my people so that the world will know that I'm holy when I'm proved before their eyes. The Lord laughs at our arrogance. Reminds me of a story I read. There was the captain of the fleet flagship his vessel was out in front of all the others in the fleet and he ordered his signal man to radio ahead this directive when an obstacle appeared on the radar screen that was directly in his course of navigation. He said, tell them, move 20 degrees starboard. An abrupt answer came over the radio. You move 20 degrees starboard. The captain raged. Does he not know who I am? Tell him again, move 20 degrees starboard and tell him that I'm the captain of this vessel, which is the flagship of this fleet. A second answer came back. I am Seaman Second Class Jones. You move 20 degrees starboard. The captain's now enraged. He orders back over the comm system. This is a battleship. We can and will blow you out of the water. Change your position or else. To which Jones replied, 
this is a lighthouse. That's what we're seeing in Psalm 2. A people that are raging, move aside. I'm gonna do it my way. And they're yelling at a God who cannot be moved. He cannot be moved. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have to change course. I have to change course. He cannot be moved. The people rage. God rebukes, but I need you to see this quickly. Jesus reigns. Look at the next stanza of this poem, verse 7 through 9. This is Jesus speaking. This is David's psalm, but it's a messianic psalm. He speaks on behalf of our Lord. and He says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. In a day of rage, the church can have confidence that Jesus reigns. You can look throughout history. In the Old Testament, Haman tried to extinguish the Jewish people, but God raised up a young girl, a beautiful girl named Esther, who called the people of God to fast and pray, and she went before the king and saved the nation. You can look into the New Testament and see that while Jesus was still young, Herod tried to take him out before he could grow up to be a threat. He had all the children, two years and younger, born in Bethlehem, massacred. But God had made a way by speaking to Joseph through a dream in the night, and they went as refugees into Egypt. You look throughout our history, and we see Hitler and the Holocaust trying to take out God's people, but God raised up allied nations. And on May 14th, 1948, the nation with its boundaries was established again. And now today, Hamas trying to kill. They, they don't want land. They want to destroy. It's not about land. They want to destroy God's people. From Haman to Herod to Hitler to Hamas, doesn't matter. The people rage they plot in vain. The Lord says, I have installed my king. I've installed my king on the throne. The Lord, he laughs today because he's already installed his king. Jesus reigns. Jesus said this in Matthew 28. He said, when he came to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus said. All the authority has been given to me. I have. So what are we supposed to do in a day of rage, church? What are we supposed to do in 2023? Should, should we hunker down in a bunker? Should we collect canned goods and store them in a church basement? You know, I don't know, in hopes that we can last a little longer than the Baptist across town? Like, like what's the plan here? Jesus tells us what the plan is. He said, all power and authority has been given unto me. Next verse. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, we have an assignment 
in our generation, we have an assignment. I don't know about you, but I don't have some dystopian, apocalyptic view of my future. What I do have is a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, knees will bow. Jesus said, in my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In my name. You'll cast out devils in my name. You'll be able to pick up deadly serpents or drink deadly poison and it will not harm you. Jesus said in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that my father may be glorified in the son. You may ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. So God says to Jesus here, in verse nine of Psalm two, you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. This is not humble Jesus, meek and lowly. This is the one who rides a white horse with eyes that flame with fire, with a sword of judgment coming from his mouth. And God says, you're gonna break them. For those that say, I want to break free from the chains of your law, and not just his law, by the way. Look at verse two. It's the chains of his love. Verse two said, the kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. The anointed is Jesus. Jesus is the personification of God's love. John three sixteen tells us God so loved the world that he gave his son. So they haven't just said, we wanna break the chains and the shackles of your law. They've rejected his love and God says, for those that wanna break free from my lordship, they will be broken. One day, with an iron scepter to a clay pot, in other words, it's gonna be swift, it's going to be violent. He will dash them. When he comes to judge the living and the dead, he comes suddenly. Like a thief in the night, scripture says, we see people rage, God rebukes, and Jesus reigns. And the chapter ends with telling us how we respond. Look at the last three verses. Verse 10 says, therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, be wise. That's what Paul told the New Testament church. In Ephesians 5, he said, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Be wise, the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity, he says. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Listen, God is not hiding from you today. He wants you to understand the Lord's will. You have to be wise. One of my favorite Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. It's right here. Be wise. And then he says, be warned. Do you know the, the Bible communicates to us what will happen in the last days? Have you read Matthew chapter 24 lately? I found myself there again yesterday. Jesus warns of what will happen in the last days. He said in Matthew 24 and verse six, you're gonna hear about wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. So there's a lot of Christians that are panicking right now. They're worried. You're not listening to your savior. He reigns. You're gonna hear about wars. You're gonna hear rumors of other wars. Don't be alarmed. Why? Because such things must happen, but the end is still to come. 
Nations will rise against nations. That, that's ethnos, that's people groups. We see that in America. People groups rising against people groups. And kingdoms will rise against kingdoms. We see that on the global stage. There will be famine, there will be earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. I know some of you moms could testify. When, when the birth pains begin, that's, that's a signal. And now they'll tell you, they don't want you to stick around the hospital too. They'll say, no, don't come yet. Don't come yet. It's just the beginning of birth pains. But as they get closer and closer and closer together and more intense, it's time to grab the, the go bag. It's time to get in the car. It's time to get to the hospital. Jesus says what we're seeing is, is the beginning of birth pains. Be wise and be warned. Then he says in verse 11, serve the Lord. This is Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Now, doesn't that sound like a contradiction? Like serve and celebrate with fear and trembling. Like, I don't know how to feel right now. Like, because honestly, th this fear is not the fear that's being peddled during the Halloween season. In fact, you should guard your heart against that kind of fear. This fear is a holy reverence. It's an awe for the, it's an awe for God. I mean, we tremble at his majesty. I mean, it's like a middle school girl on the front row of a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> like, I'm not scared, but I'm trembling. I can't talk right now. Like, that's the way you ought to be in the presence of God. He's here. He's holy. Celebrate. You're in the front row. He's here. He's within your reach. Celebrate and serve him with fear and trembling. And then the last verse says this, kiss the son. Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This, this picture that we get here, this psalm is a coronation psalm for a new king. And, and when a king was being put on the throne, that's a scary time for all of his political enemies. In fact, it, it could even be a scary time for those that were a part of the family of the previous king. If it wasn't his father, if it's a new dynasty, I mean, like the, a lot of times a new king would come in and they would just kill everybody off that's in the other family to protect their throne. And so when a new king takes the throne, it might be the end of your life, but if he spares your life, then what you would do is you would come into his presence. You would kneel before that king. You would prostrate yourself. You would kowtow all the way down with your face to the ground and you would kiss his feet. This is not the kiss of friendship. This is the kiss of surrender. And the psalmist says, be wise be warned and kiss the son. Acknowledge that this is his kingdom. 
that God has put his king on the throne in Zion. And and when you bow down, you're saying, Lord, I, I submit my will. I submit my agenda. I submit to your lordship. I give you my allegiance. This is your kingdom. It's not mine. I I do things by your law, not my own. I approach your throne of grace according to your will and your way. And I want to encourage you today, in a day of rage, to follow the instructions of God's word. Be wise. Be wise. Be warned. And kiss the sun. I want to end by praying for you today, and I believe the last phrase of this statement can be the revelation that dawns in your heart today. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Come on, not in military power. Not in a defense system. Not in our own abilities. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Would you stand as we pray today? God, I thank you so much for your word. It truly is sharper than any double-edged sword. It does penetrate our very hearts and our lives, soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Your word cuts like a surgeon's scalpel. And God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's penetrating our hearts right now. God, I pray for anyone here today that might be overwhelmed by the turbulence of a raging world, whether it's the, what's happening globally or what's happening in the secrecy of their own heart, mind, and emotions. God, I pray today that we would recognize that you have installed your king over every fear, over every worry, over every enemy that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. You've installed your king. Jesus, you reign today. May we lean in with confidence to that. And God, I pray for anyone that might be here today that that like Cain would say, I I love the Lord. I I call myself a Christian, but they're, they're approaching the altar according to their own ways. They are a people plotting in vain. That in their heart they've said, Lord, I break the chains of your rule. I reject your law. I reject your love. God, today, give us a heart of contrition that would say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. God, thank you today that your throne is established. You are a righteous judge who comes to judge the quick and the dead. And Lord, you've empowered us for this hour, for this generation. Like you empowered Esther to deliver your people from Haman. Like you empowered Joseph to receive your prophetic instruction and rescue your son from Herod. Like you empowered the nations to deliver your chosen people from Hitler. And like you are delivering your people today from Hamas, God, you're faithful. 
in whatever name, whatever title, whatever lie of the enemy that has exalted itself against your people today. Lord, we lift up the name above every name. For there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. We lift up the name of Jesus. Be exalted, Lord, in your church. And may your church be blessed because they take refuge in him. In Jesus' name and all God's people said amen. Come on, if you love the Lord and his word, let's give him praise today.